Welcome to the rumination study for Parsha Akhare Mot and Kadoshim. And myself and Shlomo are here, and we are going to get started with the Bracha. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Menachalam Asher Kirishanu Bemitzvotav Etivanu Lasok Bedivrei Torah Veharevna Adonai Eloheinu Et Divrei Torateka Befinu Ufi Amka Beit Yisrael Veniye Anachnu Vetze Etzeinu Vetze Etzei Amka Beit Yisrael Kulanu Yodea Shemeka Velom De Torateka Lishma Baruch Ata Adonai Ham Lamet Torah Leamo Yisrael Amen. All right, take it away. Welcome once again to Ruminations. And this week's Parsha is a double portion, Achare Mot, Kedoshim, after the death and holy ones. And our rumination begins, how can we be holy as he is holy? There are those who seem to think that um, accepting Jesus, quote unquote, brings holiness. The, the raising the hand, the walking the aisle. Oh, and I'm done. That's it. I don't have to do anything more. You know, right. it kind of it takes me back to my early days. Um, the interesting thing is I didn't have that mindset. I knew deep down inside that there must be more that I have to do. Because I really did not see anyone asking these critical questions. Right. About what does this living this life as our master lived, what does it really mean to to do, to be holy, you know, to be like him. And what's interesting is this rumination falls within the very Parsha that describes the Yom HaKippurim service and how self-nullification comes into play. And it's interesting, too, because Yom Kippur is called the holiest day of the year. Mm -hmm. I use the masculine plural for a very important reason, because in reference to the Mishkan, because the priesthood had to be atoned for first, because they're the ones officiating the service, the Alvoda Hashem. Right. And then there's, and then there's the sanctuary itself the furnishings, the outer court, uh, the, the water basin, the Mizbiakola, and so forth. All those things have to be atoned for. Right. Their sanctity must be maintained. Uh, there's even a pasuk in um, Behokote, in my decrees, where it specifically states that an object that has been sanctified can only be used for that particular purpose, in which case the person bringing it for use in the Mishkan, that's it. It can only be used for that purpose. 
you know, so this is talking about action, not inaction, not being passive, but active. Um, John writes, you know, that we, when we do his will, when we do his commandments, then we are righteous just as he is righteous. But he that says, oh, I know him, but doesn't keep his commandments, Shomer, uh, you know, Shomer Mitzvah, you know, like Abraham guarded the commandments. He treasured them. They were valuable to him. They were his connection to Hashem. And Mashiach demonstrates the very same thing. So you have to ask yourself, you know, what does it mean? What, you know, what is it that we're supposed to do? You know, and this rumination, you know, essentially begins to the biblical mind, being cannot be distinct from doing. In Hebrew, unlike English and other European languages, there is less emphasis on being and more emphasis on doing. We can read the multitude of verses that commend us to be holy as saying something like, do these holy things. Despite the wrong-headed theology that says that God proves our depravity by commanding the impossible. And I want to place special emphasis on this next statement. The Almighty never commands us to do something that he does not enable us to do. Amen. This is not legalism. This is Hashem enabling you to do what he's asking you to do. And that is to be holy, to be like him. What does Yeshua say to his Talmudim after his, just be, you know, before his resurrection or afterwards, excuse me, uh, before he ascends? He says, remain in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. For you will be witnesses for me beginning in Jerusalem and in Samaria and to the other most parts of the earth. Right. And he also says, you know, go and make Talmudim. That's the first thing you, you see in Matthew 28, 19, which is a mission, mission statement that so many denominations like to use. You know, it's uh, a creed, a, a faith statement, or oh, this is what we believe. But that's not a that that verse is not has nothing to say about creeds, belief systems, or faith statements or mission statements. No, it, it simply says to go and make Talmudim of all nations, right? Teaching them to observe whatever I have commanded you. What are those things that He has commanded them? It's a great question. So, um. You could take it back to Matthew five seventeen. I have not come to abolish the Torah. Actually, take it all the way back to the beginning of that verse. Do not think. Think, yeah, yes, exactly. Don't let the yetzer hurrah. Don't let the evil inclination trick you into saying, "Oh, this is done away with." That's nothing more than the nakash in the in the Garden of Eden with Eve saying, 
Well, did God really say that, that you shouldn't eat of the fruit? See, this is the problem we run into, is this off-track thinking where you have this Platonistic thought versus Hebrew thought. Hebrew thought is right. not concerned about with what you think, how you feel. It is more concerned about action. The majority of the parashiot that we read, how did they start with? They start with a verb. Vayomer Adonai El Moshe, or Vaydeber Adonai El Moshe. Starts with the verb. He's speaking to Moshe. Do this, do that. Don't you think it's interesting that we're supposed to hear his voice and the Torah is full of verses that says Hashem spoke, Hashem said, insinuating that to hear Hashem's voice, like we talked about in a previous rumination study, hearing his voice is actually doing the mitzvot. And it's like right there in plain text, Vayomer. Like, that is the action word. And Hashem said, which is, by the way, a soft-spoken uh, word in the Hebrew, as opposed to vaydaber, which is like a, a very heavy, almost kind of harsh uh, in tone uh, to it. So when you're seeing Vayomer, you see that a lot in Torah. And so Hashem is really softly speaking to us. You know, the still small voice, the soft uh, answer that turns away harsh wrath kind of thing. But really quick, why I was over here just kind of circling around your, what you're saying is I was looking up the phrase, do not think. And uh, it is the word nomos in Greek, which is practice or consider to hold by custom. And it literally says, I'm looking up the uh, concordance of this, and it says to assume something. So when you're getting into the thoughts of, you know, the law abolished or the Torah being done away with, it has to do with assumptions and what is the common practice and what is the common custom, which is interesting because the Torah is full of practices and customs. So really what's happening when you abolish Torah is you're exchanging. You're not really saying it's done away with, you're just exchanging. Yeah, you could say that it's um, a golden calf, perhaps. Yeah, that, that's pretty heavy, but uh, I, I, mean, I know, <laughs> you know, um, I think your Perkia vote won one. And the Torah was given to Moshe, transmitted to him. And Moses transmitted it to or gave it to Joshua. Uh, and I think it goes, Joshua, and Joshua gave it to the prophets. Elders. The elders. Okay, second name. Okay. Which, I mean, they're prophets. I mean, every, yeah. every one of Israel was prophets in the wilderness, which is a little known fact, by the way. Yeah. Um, so, 
and you're then not the wrong. Great assembly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the Knesset Gadol Anashim. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and they say, be deliberate in judgment, raise many disciples, and put a fence around the Torah. Ah, man. Right out the gate. <laughs> they don't mess around. It's action. Do yeah. these things. They understand this. It's not about up here. Oh, think nice, f- furry, good feeling thoughts. No, no, no. It's you're doing it. Mm-hmm. This is what pleases Hashem. I know this from personal experience because I was at my, you know, I'm still here in California, but, you know, it was a week ago Monday when we did the, had the service for her and I was doing the uh, mourners cut each, Hmm. you know, reciting the first half before the burial. And as I was reciting Hashem, enabled me and the way i was speaking was so kind of thunderous perhaps Ah, you got to speak in tongues this is great i mean yeah uh well not the gibberish that pentecostals seem to think yeah that's what i'm saying (laughs) the true speaking in tongues like a show really flowing i may have been reading it in english from my sidur but yeah. It was Hashem literally enabling me to read it with such veracity. Amen. To make Hashem. an impression on people. Yeah. And because what, it was what, necessary. Yes, absolutely. And this is how you establish a connection with Hashem. It's through action. And as I was doing this, my connection to Him began to deepen. And I began to realize certain aspects of Him as I was reading this, because I also understood that I was bringing rectification. I was bringing Takun. Yes. Big for her soul, But not just for her, but for everyone else in that room, even though they don't believe as you and I do, they don't cherish the words of Torah because there are no words like his words. I mean, so I know it made an impact. And then we get out to the gravesite and, and I recite, after the burial, because there's so much in there about, you know, the world to come. That's what it's really about is when he comes to establish his kingdom, you know, like Shaul says in Thessalonians, when he descends and at the last Trump, those Mm -hmm. nine blows from the shofar, Yeah. Last one, the ninth one, man. Boom. Everybody just comes up out of the graves, you know. I can't wait for that. You know, in in an instant, you know, in the blink of an eye, you know. But again, you know, this goes back to being holy, being like him. Yeah. Do you know the the blink of an eye in the instant is actually in the Kaddish? When we say Ba'agala, so the word Ba'agala, which is translated to uh, quickly, soon, in our days, if you look up the word Agala, it means like swift, fast, quick, like lightning flash. Nice. So if you think about for the superhero people, uh, like Marvel, 
where there's like uh there's a guy called uh what was his name uh quicksilver i don't know why i was blanking Uh, out on that uh in dc they have the flash you know and you think about how fast people can move well that's bagala like like we say in the kaddish and so you know there's a sephardi version of the kaddish that adds in may the mashiach sprout and it's literally put in with that phrase so this like quick fast redemption kind of statement that happens and so it's really neat that we're praying actually that Hashem will cause those who are asleep to wake up like quickly, like in the twinkling of an eye. Oh yeah. That's in the half Kaddish and the full Kaddish. These are things that separate the prayers, the sections. Yes. yes. It's to let you know that you're in a, like, especially when you get to the Amidah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's to prep you. Why? Because you're the reason why you take those three steps forward and those three steps back is because you're opening a door and you're stepping into the presence of the king. Oh man, come on. And you want to be at you, you want to be at your best behavior. You're dressed nice, you know, like you're dressing on Shabbat. You want to mm-hmm. welcome the, the Shekinah. Mm-hmm. I could get into the Ari with that one from my Sidur, and it's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to grab my Sidur because the Ari Zal has something amazing in there. Okay, that well, is. Please do. All right, let um, me grab it, <laughs> folks. I'll be right back. <laughs> All right. Just to share some things while Shamo is in the background, uh, I was just getting this thought of when we're doing the Kaddish that we have the different sections of the prayer service and they're like broken up. And I I think about the different sections of the temple, the different sections that, you know, you enter in through the main gate. There's the mikvot that surround the temple. You enter into the courtyard. Then there's the different uh, places within the courtyard that you can go. And so obviously for the common uh, Israelite group uh, there is we stop at the courtyard we don't get to go into the holy place but if you're a Levite or a Kohen you get to go into the holy place when it's your turn and then uh, only the Kohen Hagadol as we learn from this week's parasha uh, Kare Mot that he gets to go into the holy of holies one time a year and so Rabbi Trugman brought this down a few weeks ago. Uh, I believe it was for Parsha um, Vayakel Pekude, because he was talking about the fact that we don't have a temple today. And what takes the place of the temple service is every Jew. So literally every Jew is like a Kohen Haggadol going into the Holy of Holies when we're doing our prayer times. And so just thinking about as we're traversing as it were, through the temple when we're doing the Kaddish throughout the prayer service, that we're going into these different sections of, of prayer, but it's like going into different sections of the temple. So that was just a little thing that I saw while you were uh, bringing that up. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's, yeah. It, it, it just speaks of how we're supposed to be active. 
and being holy, being like him. Um, I remember the last shul that my wife and I went to for a while. Um, and they would recite the Shema and to love your neighbor as yourself. And I always will be prompted to point out, read the intervening verses between Vayikra 19.2 and 19.18. Yes. That is how you are to be holy. It's a big section. <laughs> yes. How am I supposed to be holy? I put a fence around my roof from, so my neighbor doesn't fall off. So I'm not negligent. And I don't have to stand before debate Dean and give an explanation. Okay, why didn't you put a fence up there, you know? Yeah. Or if I see my neighbor about to commit a sin and I don't stop him. That becomes your sin. Exactly. It's like uh, in John 8, when mm -hmm. they brought the woman caught in adultery. That's incredible. Because that, that was their sin. Yes. And they're trying to stone her for it. The other thing is, why didn't you bring her before the Kohen? Gadol? Mm. Or they were giving credence to Yeshua being the Kohen Gadol, even though it was kind of... Possibly. I mean, if it really was um, the Sota. Yeah they would have done it according to, uh, I believe it's Parashat Nasso. Yes. And I'm glad you brought that up because what does Chazal say? That uh, it was about 40 plus years or so uh, before the destruction of the Second Temple that the Sota was discontinued, which would have meant while Yeshua's ministry was happening, there would not have been a Sota. So in other words, these people are trying to bring back something that has been discontinued. <laughs> but anyway, that's Parsha Naso, what you yeah. were saying. <laughs> no, no. I mean, all the Parshas are connected. You know, True. It's, it's the mind of Hashem. Ultimately, that's what the Torah is. Nice. Um, the commandments are an intricate web. Yep. To unravel one is to unravel so many others. Yes. And your so life true. just life becomes a your life becomes a mess. Mm -hmm. You know, they bring order to your life. They bring life. You know, it said your life is in the mitzvahs. As well as a shadow pointing to Mashiach. Who is, right. you know, who is the person casting the shadow or wow. persona? Um, there's more about Mashiach. I, I'm a, I'm of the belief that he's Mashiach is not a singularity. You know, because yeah. all of us who have been called into his marvelous light bring Mashiach. You mean a body of many members or something like that? You, you know how Peter says, you know, you are all lively stones fit together. Yep. Uh, the verse is quoted in this rumination. 
you know, which I'll, I'll continue here real quick. So I can well, get you, you want to read your Ari or no? Um, I do, um, but I want to get this point across because I, it's really important. Cool. Um, do it. Do it. <laughs> uh, so yeah, do these holy things despite the wrongheaded theology that says God proves our depravity by commanding the impossible. The Almighty never commands us to do something that He does not enable us to do. Get that in your head. Those of you who think that raising a hand and walking an aisle is the end all be all of mm. faith. Mm. Yeah, read that again. <laughs> Yeah, you just shut down. (laughs) Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. (laughs) The whole thing about Hashem's grace that we don't have to do anything. And, you know, we couldn't do it anyway. So it's a good thing that Yeshua came and did away with it for us. You know, very, very sad message. But, um, yeah, it just really points out the fact that, you know, this is not a runaway from Hashem thing, you know, you don't, you don't want to leverage that kind of accusation to Hashem saying, you know, you spent all this time speaking the Moshe and giving us 613 commandments from the top of a mountain twice. Cause you know, this Torah portion that we're in is the sequel to Parsha Yitro because when did we get the second set of tablets on Yom Kippur? The first ones came Shabbat, then 17th of Tammuz, you know, that 40 day period. But we didn't really get it until Akari Mot, uh, Yom Kippur. But anyway, uh, I just want to bring up that fact that it's really just kind of uh, if you stop and think about it for a moment, saying Hashem said, do this. And it's like, well, you know, I can't do that. You know, uh, if you're a good parent, and you did that to your children, you know, you would by default not be a good parent because you don't tell your children to do things you know they can't do. So why would we say that to a shim? Anyway, that's what I was thinking about. <laughs> no, those are all valid points. You know, things we need to keep in mind, you know. Um, yeah, we need to act like him. Yeah, he is our father. Yeah, when the creator tells his people to be holy as he is holy, he's commanding us to act like him. There is only one way to act like him, and it is to do the things that he commands us to do. This is Peter's marvelous commentary on Leviticus 19.2, but as he who calls you is holy, present tense you also be holy in all your conduct note the present tense of that statement wow because it is written be holy for i am holy and if you call on the father who without partiality judges according to each one's work Conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. And if this were written in Hebrew, the word would be yireh, a reverential fear. Right. Notice Peter's emphasis on doing. 
Get you some. Only, oh, he brings it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Strap yourself in, man. You're going to go for a loop-de-loop <laughs> if you're stuck in your theological box. <laughs> yeah. The only way we can reflect the glory of the infinite one is to engage in the acts of said loving kindness that he commands us to do. Remember last week when I brought up the word hen? When, it, when does that word first appear in the Torah? What was the word again? It kind of cut out over here. Hen. Grace. Hen. Oh, yes. It appeared in Parsha Noah. Actually, actually, Bereshit. Yes, the Moftir for Bereshit. Yes. That's when it first appears. First Torah portion ever. <laughs> what does that say about that? You know? Yeah. It's nothing new. What do you want to drink, and we have to remember that the Torah was one of the seven things that existed before creation. So grace came before creation. Okay. Man, you know, that just gets me every time. That gets me with the same verse about uh, that Yochanan writes in chapter one. The Torah came through Moshe and grace came through Yeshua. Oh, man. And you just beautifully elucidated that because we know Yeshua was before creation. Adam Kadmon. Get you some. Oh, man. <laughs> The commandments are not merely ethereal axioms full of sentimentality. Love your neighbor as yourself only means something if you know the verses and commandments that accompany that phrase. I was pointing that out earlier. Goodness. Meaning verses between 19.2 and 19.18. <laughs> like a good one is you shall not curse the deaf, nor shall you put before the blind a stumbling block. You shall fear your God. I am Hashem. There's so much more to that verse than meets the eye. You cannot like curse to death, meaning someone who does not know how to speak Torah properly. You, you don't get to make fun of him. You don't get to berate, berate him, put him down, you know, denigrate him. That's putting a stumbling block before him. Wow. Wow. Stumbling block could also refer to bad teachers, bad interpretation. What did the master say? I am come to fulfill the Torah. But that word is so misused. It is not the correct context of that word. It means I'm come to make Torah stand up with proper interpretation so as not to throw, put a stumbling block before you. You know, those are really People, deep, deep thoughts, you know, just thinking about someone who, who can't hear you and you're speaking curses over them. Someone who can't see destruction that you're placing before them man that's cruel yeah that we talked about last week concerning lashon hara 
Yep. See, that's this. This is just another aspect of holiness. This is another way that we're like Him, because we can't take back our words. Hashem can, but we can. Wow. <laughs> and Hashem's word doesn't return void to Boy, him. You know? So to think about what that everything that he sets it out to do. And, and it just goes right back to and it existed before creation. <laughs> Here we are again. Full he just come full circle, you know. It's just amazing, you know. Just that practical point of this is how we are holy as Hashem is holy. This is how we imitate Hashem. Hashem does not, you know, curse the deaf. He does not put stumbling blocks in front of blind people. You know, so the more we imitate him, I mean, those things take effect in our life. And I think that's just like, it's simple, but it's really profound because the implications of what that means, you know, this is the, the proverbial, you know, those people who are not aware of mitzvot, not aware of Torah, you know, they don't even know what Hebrew is, you know, they don't even know about Hashem, you know, and those people who are trying to know Hashem, trying to uh, engage in Torah, you know, and the care and the delicacy that that would be because I was raised um, Southern Baptist and then went to non-denominational but it was more about, you know, did you go evangelize today? Did you really go, you know, bring the word, go save souls, go win souls for the kingdom, you know? And I never, ever stopped to think, what does winning souls really mean? Because if it's for the fact of getting people to say a certain prayer, getting people to get baptized, that's not really winning a soul. Because what you're doing is kidnapping someone. Because number one, you're not bringing them into a family as much as it is that you're trying to accomplish what you think needs to get done. And what usually happens to those people who get evangelized is they get dropped off at the door and there's no further care. You know, they're left kind of to fend for themselves because it's just like, oh, I got to get more people now. So you have fun. And it's like, yeah, they should plug in. True. But when you look at what Abraham and Sarah did, there's teaching, there's kinuk is what we call it in Hebrew. And so, again, just just taking care of people who don't know and, and not berating them, not tearing them down and uh, being helpful to people when they need information, you know, and how you do that. You know, if you hear someone saying the divine name, you know, mispronouncing it and things like that. Don't freak out. <laughs> Don't choke them out or anything, you know, but educate, you know, people usually do things that are out of line because they really don't know. Shalom that they do know and they're just being belligerent, but we're to judge favorably. And so I'll leave it at that. Yeah, interesting you point that out i ran into someone yesterday uh my wife and i went out to the coast um and we ran into someone that we know from a congregation that we attended for a while out here in california and he 
he told us that he left because of sets and shuts. And I was on the borderline of telling him, I prefer not to know the details. I right. don't want to know. It's none of my business. It's Lashon Hara. And I was listening to, uh, um, do you know who Ray Luke is? Yes. On Facebook? Yes, and you sent me his um, video. I was Here's watching, yeah, I was watching something on YouTube today because they have a YouTube channel and they were, he pointed out so perfectly that people get offended and that's why you have all these different denominations. Oh, this person offended me, so I'm going to start my own thing. And now you have up teen thousands of denominations, all because one person gets offended and they don't have any spiritual backbone to stick it out and work out the problem. Yikes. This is not what the Torah teaches us. The Torah teaches us to deal with these things head on. This is why we have a Beitin. This is why you have the sages. Seventy men decide halakhic matters how we are to behave the the in between the lines the the inner yeah. meanings of a lot of the pasukim of the torah this stuff is lost on a lot of people and they think it's legalism no it's there for your protection so you don't violate a torah commandment this is defense around the torah man it's all again it's about holiness So, you know, this is where a lot of the misconception comes from. Mainly, you know, mainline church doctrine, of course, you know, that kind of thing. And when I say, you know, church doctrine, I'm referring to the theological system, not the people themselves. Right. Because I don't fault them. Because I was one of them. You were one of them. And yeah, I'm glad you made them. that statement because what we've been talking about so far it could seem very... Like, oh, you're saying don't berate people, but you're berating people. It's like, no, no, no. Yes. We're not berating the people. We're talking about the message that is being taught. Like, that's error. So addressing the error, not the the people themselves. Yeah, the teaching that leads people away from the Torah, away from the commandments. Right. Of performance of misvote, of bringing merit for themselves. That they merit their portion in the world to come. Again, this is holiness. This is what we're talking about this week. It is so important. There's so many different aspects. You know, we could just go on and on, you know. And, right. But these are things that we need to internalize. We need to become who we are. Um, that's why I like Perkei Because it's one of the most studied tractates in the Talmud. <laughs> so much commentary has been written about Perkei Avot that yeah. second alone that it could fill a bookshelf easily. You know, um, that's what we're studying for these seven weeks. Exactly, it ties in so nicely. You know, it's harmonious. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. See. Okay, I'll pick up where I left off here. People reading Messiah Yeshua's words in Matthew 22, 37 through 40 cannot understand their meaning if they refuse to read the context 
of Yeshua's words. The context is not a New Testament thing, quote unquote. Mm. It is it is a Torah thing. Without the Torah, the New Testament has no place in the scriptures. It is only the context of the Torah that can define the holy writings of the first disciples of Yeshua. If those writings are independent of the Torah, they must be the writings of another religion apart from the Bible. And we know that our master did not come to start a new religion. He was an Orthodox Jew. He lived according to the Torah's precepts. Yep. 100%. Which is really, really weird that the church and Christianity has taken these four accounts of the gospel and these handful of letters and connected them to the Torah, but at the same time pushed away the Torah and said, but this is what we need to focus on. That stuff over there is good to read and okay, we don't have to do it. But I mean, it's just kind of weird, you know, to think if this is Jewish writings, then why, why are you following it? I mean, that's crazy. You know, this is Jewish writings. The only way this makes sense is with Jewish commentary. Yeah. You know, it's, I find in my study of Talmud, I understand the master's words a whole lot better because a lot of those agotic parables are found in the Talmud. Yes. Midrash Tankuma is like a hot spot. <laughs> Oh, like, yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, you're going to see a lot in there. <laughs> I find it's places in uh, Avoda Zera as well, um, mm -hmm. where I see how the sages are discussing how they phrase certain, uh, the phrasing in Hebrew. And I think, wait a minute, Shaul said something like this. And I yeah. would go there, and bam, there's the connection. There's where he draws his inspiration from. He doesn't stray from the words of the sages. And what does Perky Avot say? Cover yourself in the dust of the sages and drink their words like water. Wow. Hold up. Where have we seen dust and water before? Sota. Sota. And before that, Genesis chapter 2. And he formed men of the dust of the ground, hot enema. Yes. So you have this whole picture here of a new creation. Mm. You want to be a Are new you... creation? Go ahead. Go ahead. I'll just. <laughs> the Arizal says that the mist that rose up was the necessi necessitator of. Hashem forming man with both his hands. That's why, that's the other reason why you see two yods in the word Vayitzer. That was him. Oh my gosh. Because he and formed, formed man, man with such care. With two with hands. Both, yes. Not just the two inclinations. The two hands. Yadim. Yadayim. Think about when you do Natila Yadayim. Yeah. You just... The mist rising from the ground. That's insane. Oh, my gosh. 
that that just hit me like a thunderbolt, man. I just realized that, you know, what the Ari is saying there. And it's like, and you ignore these things and you don't realize the deeper significance. How, wow. uh, you know, it's, um, but now that I brought up the Ari, I have yep. my sister handy. Um, yeah. What I love about uh, Atkinu Sayudata mm-hmm. is that I shall prepare the feast. Uh huh. The acrostic, each line in the Hebrew spells his name. It's a, it literally says Ani Yitzhak Liria. I am Yitzhak Liria. Wow. It, it's it's amazing. So we say that prayer before Arab Shabbat, before Oneg, and before third meal. Before you even recite Kiddush. Man, that's intense. Um, yeah. Because oh my goodness, and we recite it for Melva Maka, the fourth meal after Habdallah. So we got four recitations, like the four letters of Shem name, the four cups, four salvations. Hovaya. Yeah. And yeah. it's literally an, uh, it's an invocation. It's an invoking of Zeranpin. Yep. Yeah. So anyway. You're bringing into play the uh, the two triads of um, Pased, Tiferet, Gevura, and then Netzach, Yesod, Hod. That's the body of Zeron team. Wow. Also yeah. known as Vav. <laughs> yeah, but I really love this part of welcoming Shabbat. I mean, it's just, you know, it's a prepared a feast of perfect faith. Perfect. The joy, the joy of the Holy King. Prepare the feast of the king. This is the feast of the field of sacred apples. We're talking part S here. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking Kagiga 14, the four rabbis. And only Akiva comes out in peace, in shalom. Right. His vessel was prepared to receive. And the sad part is, because we're eight days from Lagba Omer, all his disciples couldn't get along. Wow. They got so offended with each other that they they failed to show the proper respect. And that's why we mourn for the first few weeks of the Omer. Yeah. It's crazy. We go from such a joyous night of oh my the goodness. setter. And then the following night, we count the Elmer, and it is like, okay, morning practices. What are we counting up to here? <laughs> yeah. 
You're like, what's you going kinda, on? You kind of forget the real reason why we're counting up, and it's the Savaot. Yeah. You know? But Lagbaomer comes in, and it's like, switch. <laughs> but then, oh, see, that's where the Fei Tang really brings out the beauty of the redemption that the exile, but you go right to left, and it's redemption. Because Lagba Omer is the midpoint. Yeah. Because we hit 49, and then you know the Gerula is going to happen. You know, it's... Yeah. I should read. I'm uh, getting kind of close to reading that again because <laughs> it's so powerful. Yeah. Hey, we talked about review before starting this podcast here, so you know, may probably have to do it. I mean, obviously, we need to get through our rumination for tonight. So, but I mean, I'm, I'm, I wouldn't mind. <laughs> um, well, there is one paragraph left. Uh, do you want to be holy? as he is holy. Obey him. Without the Torah, you cannot even begin to know how. Dig in and learn. Dig in and do. There's one self-categorization that the Torah uses, and that is hope. Decree. Yeah. There mystery. Why? Because Hashem does not explain. The king does not have to explain everything. You know, the, the red heifer is an example. It's not a, The Torah doesn't entirely explain it. It just says, okay, this is what you're supposed to do with it. Um, it's just simply required. It simply requires obedience on our part. You know, we just simply do it, you know? Yeah. That makes me think of one of the um, the daily wisdoms that came out this week for the Parsha. This is for uh, Yom Shani. It's called The Power of Sacrifice. It says, God gave Moshe further instructions regarding the Corbinot, stipulating that they may be offered up only in the tabernacle or in its successor, the Holy Temple. And it quotes Vayikra 17.5, says the Israelites shall bring their feast offerings to God. Side note, when you bring your offerings to the tabernacle or to the temple, that's bringing it to Hashem which just to swerve into what we talked about before starting this podcast, we were talking about, you know, the Torah is the essence of Hashem, but it's not Hashem himself, like completely. And just another point here that we're seeing, like if you want to bring your offering to Hashem, you go to the temple and it's just like, that's going to Hashem. So just, Again, I'm still blue screening thinking about it because obviously we know Hashem is without form, not corporeal, but yet things that are corporeal, things that do have form, they're called Hashem. So I'm just kind of like, wow. But anyway, so it says, (laughs) 
Uh, it says with regard. Okay, let's go back here. Offering up animals sacrifices to God seems to go against the Torah's respect for animals' life. Even with regard to non-animal sacrifices, why would God ask us to take valuable property and burn it up for no apparent benefit? So this is to your point about the hook that, you know, hey, we may not understand it. Again, it's not about what we think. It's not about our own mental uh, awareness, so to speak. Uh, for lack of better terms, it's really about what did Hashem say? Let's go do that. And then we'll we'll get it later. <laughs> like Anasevanishma, you know, like we will do what we will hear. So it's like you bring these offerings, but it's like, what's the what's the benefit? It says, furthermore, of all God's commandments, why does the Torah refer only to sacrifices as being pleasing to God? Surely it pleases God when we perform any of his commandments. And I think about Mashiach Yeshua's words when he says, go learn this. I desire mercy instead of sacrifice. But then going on, it says the answer is that sacrifices please God in the purest way, precisely because the only possible reason for offering them up is in order to fulfill his will. So that was from Daily Wisdom, Yom Shaney. I just loved that because I was just like, uh, thinking, you know, how how the sacrifices are viewed typically. And it's just like, actually, this these are considered pure and the penultimate way to serve Hashem. Yeah. Um, when it comes to the Mishkan, the one thing I'm always constrained to point out is that they are that sacrifice is a pagan word, and Absolutely. that they are they are the korban, they are offerings, they are voluntary. All of them, all five of those korbanot are voluntary, and it's about worship. Hashem does not ask you to sacrifice anything. You bring it of your own free will. Why? Because you want to spend time with the king. The infinite one, the holy one, blessed be he. The Mishkan is the result of the sin of the golden calf. Had Israel not committed the sin of the golden calf, the Mishkan would not be necessary. Hmm. I found that pretty huge, man. I'm like, because Yosef brought that one up, man, and he's that on then yeah creation would have been perfected had adam Hari shown not eaten of the fruit that, that's just so huge <laughs> and you think anyway, about i i, I came prepared i came prepared because i brought this with me <laughs> oh that's not fair <laughs> he's got cheat codes you know he's how, got cheat codes. you know how hard it is to get this it's been out of print since 1999. Hmm. And everyone in the Torah group's like, Rick, how did you manage it? Nice. Mazel to you. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But um, yeah. you, know what I love about, you know what I love about Eliyahu Monk? He quotes from the Ari. Uh, 
he brings the mystical man and it's just oh i'm going to see okay the main thrust of this portion is to urge us to sanctify ourselves by abstaining from indulgences which are permissible what yes even a positive commandment can be viewed as an indulgence mm. Say to the law. That one you got to think is, you know, everything is uh, permissible, but not all things are beneficial. Beneficial, yes, exactly. There it is, That's right because... there. You just read it. Shanayla thought of. <laughs> I know. Um, just because I could doesn't mean I should. See, there, there goes the two inclinations again. The two yos. Because yep. that's what he's getting back to here. When he says, indulgences which are permissible. Wait a minute. You mean to tell me that a positive commandment could be an indulgence? And the sages do talk about that. Wow. You know, um, you know, what do we do in the morning with the morning blessings? We say, you know, may I be dominated by the uh, the Yetzer Tov. The good inclination. And distance me from the evil inclination. That always reminds me of the Master's Prayer. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, see, whereas the previous parasha concerned itself mostly with uh, Sur Meirah, depart from evil aspect of Judaism, this portion is concerned with the Asay Tov, do what is good aspect of our faith. Since I have already written on many subjects mentioned here, I prefer to copy here a sermon which I delivered in my youth. Oh. Come on. Kedoshim uh, Tahiv Ki Kadosh Ani Adonai Elokechem. Rabbi Kiya taught in Vayikra Rabbah 24.5 that this portion was read out during the Hekahel, the Hakel ceremony, because so many basic elements of the Torah are contained therein. Yalku Shimoni at the beginning, uh, Parashat Vayikel states that the teachers of Agadic material con concurred that there is no other portion of the Torah which starts with a report of the Jewish people all being assembled. God asked Moses to arrange for many mass meetings at which the laws of Sabbath observance would be taught Subsequent generations were meant to learn from Moses how to teach Torah in public gatherings with the objective to glorify the name of God amongst the people. This is why Rabbi Kiyah was convinced that the portion of Kedushim was read on the occasion of Ha Kahel. 
a public gathering of the entire nation, including women and children, as per Deuteronomy 31.12, at which the people were to hear and learn to fear the Lord. Yere uh, me Eloheka is the phrase that's in Vayikra uh, 19.14. Ani Adonai. Uh, Kiev further supports this by opening the verse in our Parsha. It is difficult to see why the Torah writes Kedoshim uh, Tahiv in the future tense. It should have said Kedoshim Tayu with the, an imperative. Furthermore, why does the Torah once more to conclude at the end of this portion, 2026, with the Midrash comments that this latter verse is a directive to be holy in public. This entire Midrash 24.8 requires analysis. Rabbi Avin describes what the Torah means as twofold. Imagine a king who owned a wine cellar and who appointed guards to watch that cellar. Some of the guards were teetotalers whereas others were in the habit of imbibing. When the time arrived to be paid, the king paid the teetotalers only half the salary that he paid to the other guards. The teetotalers complained, stating they have put in just as much time doing their work. This should, this should be immediately familiar, this agotic that he's using. Um, the parable of the... Uh, I think it's the vine dressers. Um, you know, did you not agree with me for one pence? To right. work all day, to work all day. Th those who worked all day complained that those who showed up late were paid the same wage. It's true. It's not mine own. Am I not free to do with what is my own? Why is your eye evil? Because I am good. Hmm. Selfish. The evil eye. There's another agotic. There's another aspect of holiness. That's interesting because the people who were getting the wage from working earlier in the day, they're complaining about the generosity of the person who employed them. Insinuating that, hey, I'm the employee, but actually, never mind, I'm the employer. I tell you what to do. Which is kind of crazy because does this not happen in the world today? People want to say how Hashem is. Uh, the name it, claim it thing. Yeah. That is so unfortunate. You know, you're, or... You're demanding that Hashem do this and that to him, you know, to him, to you, he would seem to be nothing more than a rabbit's foot. Yeah. 
that that's unfortunate. And you think about too the the thought of who Hashem can or can't save, who can or cannot be in covenant with Hashem. You know, a huge terrible one is who is or who isn't going to Shemaim or Alam Haba, who is or who isn't going to Gehenna. You know? That Things destroys that someone's really know. Yeah. Yeah. If they don't, I mean, if you don't accept Jesus as your personal savior, you're going to get him. That You're destroying someone's emunah. You're destroying their spirituality. And guess what? You will be held more accountable for those words than that person you hurt. Yeah. Because they will merit more of a place in the world to come than you. Yikes. That's awkward. You know, I always think about did people who followed or who follow Rabbi Nachman, Rebbe Nachman, or, you know, Menachem Schneerson, or, you know, any of the other Mashiach figures, you don't ever hear, well, I haven't anyway. I don't know if this is true or not. I don't ever hear people saying, well, you're not going to go to Alamabad because you don't accept him as Mashiach. When you really see from the sources, Tractate Sanhedrin being one of them, who, what, when, where, how, why, Mashiach being another one of them, the Messiah text being another one of them. What the rabbis know about, I'm just keep. I'm like, I could keep going, but I'm just going to start with those. <laughs> They don't ever really point out this fact of because you didn't believe in such and such Mashiach that you're going to go to Gehenna. Because what about the people who followed Shiloh or who followed Menachem or who followed Yinon? You know, the different academies that said, oh, this is our rabbi. He's the Mashiach. You know, it was like everyone had their Mashiach. And it's just kind of like okay you know so it's just really interesting that what's been done with jc above all else has been like the workers at the end of the day saying listen you can't do this you can't be that generous with your money you know you can't give my wage to someone who worked less than i did you know it's just interesting Does the potter, does a clay say to the potter for me this way? Yeah. That's okay. Like, <laughs> I'll tag after you. <laughs> we need to be careful because um, Iov was one of Pharaoh's um, advisors. During the Geulah and Mitzrayim, the, the Golas in Mitzrayim. Right. And he told Pharaoh, take the wealth from the Bene Israel and enslave them, but don't kill them. So, Mida Kenega Kamida. Is the Bene Israel are standing at the Yom Suf? Satan is prosecuting them. And what does Hashem do? He hands over Iov, over to him to distract the Satan. 
And what happens to I.O.? Everything is taken from him. He is stricken with disease, boils. Man. You name it, he's got it, man. You know, it's like we talked about last week, you know, when I brought up Yaakov, who went down into Egypt, even though he wasn't responsible for his brother selling Yosef into Egypt, Mashiach yeah. and Yosef, you know? Yeah, his, his sons, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's, you got to be careful. I mean, it's, you know, sometimes this world could put such pressure on you to be molded in their image because they don't value holiness like you and I do. And all the others who are desirous to walk in Hashem's ways. Um, Man, can you hear our tone? Um, but Hashem has ways of getting our attention. He always, you know, like right now with the COVID thing, you know, major you know he's he's bringing about a lot of Mina Kamega Kamina right now and right now we you know we got to be really careful with our words because they become actions and we cannot take that back right you know you're by your words you'll be justified and by your words you'll be condemned and it also creates worlds. 100%. You know, you can build someone's emunah. Or you can destroy it, you know. Yeah, and you can exile uh, the Mashiach as well. That, that's, that's it, yeah. You know, we're clamming Mashiach now. But, hey, we can bring him by being like him, by acting like him. Holiness is the key, I think. To bring in Mashiach. That makes me think of a verse in Hebrews. I'll look it up in a second. <laughs> but did you finish um, your point? Um, yeah, this is Gothic about the king, you know, the teetotalers and the and the That's other guards, Luko? you know. Oh, yeah. Uh, Shnei Luko, volume two, page 760 on Parashat Kedoshim. Source it. Come on. <laughs> the, okay, so to continue this, I got it. Wait, wait, the king wait, wait, countered. Wait, wait. I'm okay. out. <laughs> Just a real quick, I was because the thought I had before we go on is that you know there's a strain of thought in Judaism known as Gilgul, like reincarnation. So one of the things to think about with that, you know, maybe some people subscribe to it, maybe some people don't, because again, it hasn't been ruled as a uh, general halakha that we all follow it, but it is there and we're allowed to study it. So one of the things with that is um, to think about the fact of like for this week, we learned about uh, there was a, a Cohen. This is from Rabbi Raskin of Chabad. And he was talking about, there was a Cohen whose name was Rabbi Yochanan and he was Kohen Gadol for like 80-something years. And the last year of his life, he actually became a denier of the oral Torah right before his death. He 
was a Gilgul or Slika. This other person I'm about to mention is a Gilgul of Rabbi Yochanan. And this person's name is Rabbi Derdayat. Uh, forget his first name, but something, something, Ben Derdaya. And the point of this, bringing this up, is that this person, Ben Derdaya, was a very just licentious person, uh, lots of philandering and things like that, his whole entire life, all to meet up to the end of his life, making Teshuva right before his death, and ended up having a bot Cole speak out the fact that he is a rabbi. So he spent his whole life having not rabbi attached to his, uh, his name, just going from sin to sin and all this kind of stuff. In the last moment of his life, he makes Teshuva. And he brought down the fact that uh, this guy is a Gilgul of the, the one particular Kohen Gadol who lived as a Zadik for 80 plus years only to become a Rasha at the end of his life. And then Takun in this Bender Daya person because he made Teshuvah at the last minute of his life. So when you put the two together, you have a complete life of Zadik, of Shuva, of completion, of Amuna. And I bring that up because, you know, understanding things like that, the dynamics of that, there are some people in this world who, are probably so far from holiness. They're so far from Hashem. But yet, what if that person is a Gilgul and there's only one little tikkun that they need to make, whether it be at the end of their life or some small act of kindness that they needed to do before, they're in the, before the end of their life or things like that. And so when you begin to see the dynamics of how that plays out, it really adds another layer uh, of of mercy of of true grace that Hashem actually has, you know. And I know again with the whole concept of reincarnation and Gilgul, to some people it's a hot button and things like that. But just overall, it really kind of takes the edge off in the abrasiveness of you know berating people, and it really gives us this, this opportunity to really reach out and, and make bridges to people, you know. Maybe someone will come to know Hashem because you actually smiled at them or you offered them a kosher piece of food or something, you know. What that ripple effect is throughout the rest of that person's life. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's awesome, man. Um, I'm glad you brought that up because that's that's something I happen to be studying. Sha'ar Ha Gilgalim. Me and uh, oh, Ray Mayorga have been talking about it. Um, I think with Shira as well in, in the group mm-hmm. that this quite possibly being the final generation before Mashiach. I hope so. That, <laughs> that this is just a theory, though, based on my study of the Ari and Shahar Hagilgalim, that this could possibly be the final generation, and that there will be no more Gilgal. That if it falls to that, this potentially falls to us, like you and me, and everyone else like us, 
to bring to do to Kuhn, to do rectification for family members especially because me yeah. and Ray have been talking about this and we're and we're pretty much convinced of it that Hashem has brought us to this time like he brought Esther to this time if not you someone else exactly meaning we got to step up to the plate we have to do tikkun we need to make repair the breach because yeah. we're still dealing with the air of Rav. There's so much of it out there. So much, so much bad teachings out there, like you brought up earlier about, you know, the guy who thinks he knows how to pronounce the ineffable name, you know, because I had someone do that to me, but I did not retort back negatively. I just stepped away from it because I knew exactly where it was coming from. I know it's coming from the air of Rav, the Ravel. Yeah, the very the very same group that prompted Israel to commit the sin of the golden calf, and the mystical aspects of that. <laughs> I mean, there was a yeah. lot of magic involved that originated in Mitzrayim that brought about the the Eagle Sahab. Yep. Um, and, and the thing is. We see that today. Um, yeah, it, it just another reason we gotta be careful. Yeah, you know, not to have the sages. You know, they also warn against improper thoughts. Um, that's another sign that you've been circumcised in heart. That the foreskin of your heart, you know, the the clipot, is being dealt with. You're drawing the energy from it, because the the clipot tends to draw some of its energy or its vitality from kedusha. Yep. But there's another spot here in Sinai Luko that talks about the the um, the halakha of not carrying on Shabbat a certain distance. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is that um, by doing that, we create a vacuum that takes away the vitality from the klipot and brings it over to the klipa. Hmm. Um, so in our desire and in our efforts to bring holiness down halakhically, we bring the Kedusha down from heaven. It's, you know, like we welcome the Shekinah when we welcome Shabbat, you know, and we don't, we don't carry from a private domain to a public domain. You know, you, you can't pick up something like this is the private domain. I just picked up my phone, right? And so now I'm going to carry it to a public domain. I can't do that. Because I'm bringing vitality to the klipot, right. the husk of the leftovers from creation, the the shattering of the vessels. Mm -hmm. You know, this is another mystical aspect of why Hashem abstained from all His work, and He stepped back. He says, you know, kitov, and it was good. And you know, He saw everything that He did. You know, that's what we need to do. You know. Just, just another aspect of holiness, you know. 
Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, you know, may your name be sanctified on earth as it is in heaven. You know, as it is in heaven, so on earth. Right. You know, give us this day our daily bread. You know, the Torah is bread. Lachim. You know, don't lead us. Don't bring us into the power of scorn. Don't bring us into the power of sin. Don't bring us into the power of transgression. You know. You know, for yours is the kingdom, Malkut. And the Gavura, power. And uh, hold the glory forever and ever. Um, yeah, it's a... Uh, you just went super Kabbalistic with the prayer Mashiach taught us. That's amazing. I, I, I know. It, <laughs> I had, uh, I, I got this amazing audio book, Mystical Kabbalah. Kabbalah yeah. Is this the same one you're talking about? Yeah. And I'm going through it a second time because I really nice. want to... Um, You know, he says there's so many books on the subject, but there is there is no one definitive book on Kabbalah. There isn't. You're not going to find it. You know, it's the same principle with people looking for the perfect church, the perfect ministry, you know, this and that, you know. The perfect translation of the text, <laughs> which is Hebrew, by the way, but, you know. That's it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just go ahead and you get know, a tourist. There you go. You're done. So my wife wants to do. <laughs> hey, it's a mitzvah. Well, you know one of those mini ones that uh, like Yosef has? Mm-hmm. You know, one of those. I think they're like, you know, $75 on Judica Web Store. You know? Nice. Um, but yeah, it's I'm finding, you know, being a student of Kabbalah, I'm a lot more centered. That's great because Kabbalah can be crazy. And we see what happens when people go way off the deep end. But to that point, this is the importance of Torah and mitzvot. Because without that, Kabbalah becomes witchcraft. It becomes spooky Kabbalah and you begin to be like Madonna. Whoops. Yeah. I should know that. <laughs> <laughs> no, Nora. I did just trip over my tongue, did I? <laughs> I sure did. Goodness. Uh, Terrible. But, I, you know, that's interesting. Because Maybe that's... Madonna's gotten better. Here we go. Yeah, she's gotten better. She doesn't do that stuff no more. I'll, I'll judge her favorably. <laughs> um, I thought of... Shaul who pursued David uh-huh. relentlessly and what does he do he goes to the witch of Endor and tells her summon Shmuel oh gosh yes he does and you know it's funny I, we were visiting uh, my sister-in-law's congregation it's, it's a Christian congregation so we they were talking about that very thing and so I asked him the question, what commandment does Shaul break and having the witch summon Shmuel? 
dun, dun, dun. You took the name of Hashem in vain. <laughs> wow. I did not see that coming. You want to elaborate, please? <laughs> well, it's like the name it, claim it thing. His name is not meant for mundane purposes, but rather it is to be sanctified, like what we're talking about, holiness. Right. By doing these holy things, you sanctify the name of Hashem. Oh, my word. You just like really rearranged this week's tour portion to the top 10, like the Ten Commandments. Like the hugest thing about these forbidden relationships the don't practice like the nations that's literally not taking the lord's name in vain that i've never seen before you know it's because the four letter name points to the <sighs> fact that he is nameless formless without beginning without end you're assigning a form to him by using his name for mundane purposes in this physical world for your own selfish desires. Wow. It's not meant for that at all. So you mean to tell me Hashem being formless and we're not to use his name and give it a form. But yet, when we do Torah and mitzvot, we use Hashem's name the proper way, and it becomes a form. <laughs> we become like him. We become okay. the image that he in intended that we be made in. Right, because this makes me think of numbers, I believe, in chapter 12. That says Moshe speaks to my image, you know, and it was considered mouth to mouth. Yeah, and then you know, oh my gosh! So like, Hashem says, "Don't make an image," but it's just like, here's here's what you're supposed to do, and again. I can't help but think of Yeshua when we come across things like this because it's such a, a crazy thing to try to figure out, like, if he's the image of the invisible God. Like, Hashem doesn't have an image. Uh -huh. So what are, you, what are you saying when you really say that? Just it's just like, well, yeah, the only way you can make an image of the invisible God is the very image he gives us, which is the Torah, which is the mitzvah. Okay. And sanctifying just, his name. I'm, I'm just, just going to... I just grabbed my Tanakh, bro, because one verse just popped in my head, and that's Devarim 4.12. This is insane. Hashem spoke to you from the midst of the fire. 
you were hearing the sound of words, but you were not seeing a likeness, only a sound. There's the Vayomer again. <sighs> See, then we get this one in Hebrew. Wait, wait, wait. So this connects to what was walking in the garden when Adam and Hava decided to hide in the fig tree. <laughs> if I got this right. Yeah, let me tell you. The barring four twelve? Four yeah, four twelve. No, that's not it. Oh yeah, here we go. Okay. Yeah, by Adonai Eli Kim. Okay, so this is the this is the Kol. Listen to that. Metok Haesh Kol Hadevarim. Bro, this is Exodus chapter three. The burning bush. Oh my goodness. Okay, so Exodus 3 2, Vayar Malak Adonai. Oh, Slika. Vayera, Vayera, and appeared and was seen. Malak Adonai, the angel of Adonai, appeared to him in a blazing fire, which that one is Be Levat Esh, Mitok. A blazing fire out of a bush. So we know Mount Sinai was a, a big version of the burning bush. I, I'm just, I don't, I'm blue screening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, he told you of his covenant that he commanded you to observe the 10 declarations and he inscribed them on two stone tablets. Hashem commanded me at that time to teach you decrees and ordinances that you shall perform them in the land to which you cross to possess it. But you shall greatly beware for your souls, for you did not see any likeness on the day Hashem spoke to you at Horeb from the midst of the fire lest you act corruptly and make yourselves a carved image a likeness of any shape a form of a male or female a form of any animal that is on the earth a form of any winged bird that flies in the heavens a form of anything that creeps on the ground, a form of any fish that is in the water, under the earth, unless you raise your eyes to the heaven and you see the sun and the moon and the stars, the entire legion of heaven, and you be drawn astray and bow to them and worship them, which Hashem your God has appointed to all the peoples under the entire heaven. But Hashem has taken you and withdrawn you from the iron crucible from Egypt to be a nation 
of heritage for him as this very day. Okay. So we didn't see anything, but we saw something. Because Exodus chapter 20 tells us that we saw the voices, which is kolot, which is thunderings, translated as thunderings. So the people saw what is normally heard is what the sages tell us. Then Rashi on that Exodus verse that we just read that really matches what you just brought down says Belevat Esh literally means in a flame of fire. And I think about the angel that appeared to Manoah and his wife. This is the parents of Samson. When this angel who's called by the name Wonderful, my name is Hidden, same angel that wrestled with Yaakov, appeared, he jumped in the flame of fire and ascended, you know, and Zohar tells us about the pillars of fire that will be around when Mashiach returns. But anyway, uh, it says in the very heart of is really what Belevat means, which Lev is heart so belev and we know lev is gematria 32 which connects to the 32 paths of wisdom which are separate all day which means if we just stop there for a second that means we're looking at emanations of light which is why it's so important to understand what the sapphire tablets were because lukot the tablets the sapphire tablets we were supposed to originally have they literally were emanations of light with letters that floated within them. The Torah would arrange itself on them however we needed it to do it. And no matter which side you looked at the tablet, you would see the same thing. The letters pierced all the way through the tablets. So if you think about what that actually looked like, because if you think about the letters pierced all the way through the tablets, but yet the letters float, that literally means like these holes would move around, which is crazy because they would match the letters floating. But back to Rashi, he says, similarly, Lev is used of inanimate objects in Deuteronomy 4.11, which says in the heart of heaven, 2 Samuel 18.14, in the midst of Lev, the terebinth. Do not be puzzled by the tav, although the ordinary word for lev does not require the suffix of tav in its construct form because we have another example in Ezekiel 16.30. How weak is your heart? So all of that to say <laughs> there's a the understanding of what is the light of Hashem because that ultimately is what emanated from the fire when God spoke and we talk about the spirit of God the word of God the voice of God so yeah because I mean it's got to be consistent throughout the text because if the voice of Hashem was walking in the garden in the cool of the day with a dumb 
And then the voice of Hashem was emanating from the fire on the mountain and at the bush. Actually, you brought up the garden. I remembered how Ankylos renders that. And they heard the sound of the word walking in the garden. Devar. Goodness. And then you were pointing out about Moshe and angels. This is from the Arizal. And it also touches on Lashon Hara, why, and not the mystical reason why we cannot engage in such um, that dreadful sin, you know. And he said to Moshe, I, Yisro, your father-in-law, am coming to you, Shemot 18.6. You've already been told that Yitro was Cain, and that Moshe was his brother, Hevel. The head letters of the Hebrew words for I, Yitro, your father-in-law, spell Aki my brother. Therefore, Moshe was being told, do not disgrace his honor, even though he was a king and he was a new convert. Therefore, accept him and go out to greet Yitro. As Kazal elucidate, Yitro said, if you will not come out for my sake, come out for yours, come out for your wife. And then on the pursuit, Shemot 18.8, Moshe told his father-in-law everything. The head letters of the Hebrew words for Moshe told his father-in-law everything is Malak, angel. This was Moshe Rabbeinu who was called angel. With respect to him, it says, and Parashah Hukat, he sent an angel who took us out of Egypt. For me, bar 2016. <laughs> what? And what is Israel warned not to do? in Shemot after the before the sin of the golden calf be careful don't that you, make an idol no 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 don't commit any trespasses for I have set, sent my angel and he will not forgive trespasses oh Parsha Mishpatim okay yes oh goodness so I'm and looking up I'm looking at Bummy Bar 2016. Like, I never knew this was a thing. Vayishlak Malak. Vayotzienu. Mim Mitzrayim. And he, speaking of Hashem, sent a messenger, which uses the word Malak, who freed us from Mitzrayim. But yet, it says Hashem himself freed us from Mitzrayim. Oh boy, screenshot. <laughs> nope, that was okay. That's intense, bro. I did not know that. And then in 1813, it happened on that on the next day, Moshe sat down to judge the people. The head letters of the Hebrew words for to judge the people is Leah. This hints to that she is the grand bait dean above and that this is the place of judgment. <laughs> More roar face. And then the Moloch theme continues. Moshe said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me 
to seek God. The head letters of the Hebrew words for Moshe said to his father-in-law, because, spell, Melech, king. Where is the head letters at, uh, Shemot 1815. 1815, got it. Okay. The head letters of the Hebrew words for the people come to me is Yod Aleph Hey. Together they are Melech Yaeh, proper king, to hint that this that is Naah proper when a king sits and judges the people because a king establishes the country with justice. And you know what's interesting? Because last Shabbat we were studying Rambam Mishnah Torah on the laws of kings and wars and that only a king who is a descendant of the Davidic line may sit in the temple courts to teach and what did Yeshua do? What did Yeshua do? Sat in the temple courts. I was in the temple daily teaching when, when Caiaphas asked him what is it is teaching that you have spread throughout Yerushalayim. And Yeshua says to him, I taught daily in the temple. Ask those who heard me. That is golden, man. That's the Rambam saying, Mashiach, he's King Mashiach of the Davidic line. Of course, Yosef posted this one on Facebook and got all kinds of trolls coming out and letting them have it unfortunately <laughs> that's what happens when you speak truth man yeah and the absolutely. crazy thing is these are not our words these are the sages words that's just it yeah you know uh, man also the head letters of the hebrew words for because the people come to me to seek god is leah the upper queen thus the king and queen are mentioned like shabbat the day yep. where the king meets the queen, which, so by the way, fitting <laughs> the fitting and proper king is what we say in the Ribon Ko Haolamim, Master of All Worlds prayer on Arab Shabbat. So we talk about that, the fitting and proper king, mm, which is I funny because. Because, yeah, because earlier we talked about Lecha Dodi, welcoming the bride. <laughs> it's a wedding. That's it, yeah. It's Shabbat. You know, is there's a goodness. <laughs> That's just it, man. You oh. Oh, even shalom, I tear it bala. Come, besim ka, you had sala. Good, but then okay, now okay, <laughs> yeah, prepare the feast of perfect faith, the joy of the holy. This is the marriage supper of the lamb. <laughs> This is the mystical meaning in Revelation. <laughs> Come on, Balboa. Show me what you got. Goodness. That is intense, bro. 
prepare the feast of the king. This is the feast of the field of sacred apples and the miniature presence and the holy ancient one, the Atik Yomim. Come to feast with it. This is revelation. I shall praise the name of God with song. I shall magnify it with thanksgiving. Hashem my cheeks my hurt so much from smiling. This is amazing. <laughs> and my shield in him, my heart trusted and I was helped. And my heart exalted with my song, I praise him. I will cut away the accusers with praises, bringing them up through the portals that are in the apple orchard, for they are holy. Let us now invite the Shekinah with a newly laid table and with a well-lit menorah that casts light on all heads. Three preceding days to the right, three succeeding days to the left, amid them the Sabbath bride. Goodness. With There's your dormant, seven blessings right there. You shovel brought up. The seven faceted blessing. Mm-hmm. With the dormants, she goes. The bride makes herself ready. She dances around the groom seven times. Israel encamped around Sinai. This image the, uh... is so beautiful. This is man, it just blows my mind that the church is missing out on all this wondrous attributes, this powerful imagery. The world. Anyone but, who's not keeping Shabbat currently is missing this. You know, it's so I was just going to say, Leka Dodi, we talk about changing those garments, right? Because at the parable of the wedding feast, there's people who show up wearing not the right clothes. How did you get in here? <laughs> and the man was speechless. Yeah, right. It's like, someone please give this man the Leka Dodi text. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah, her master embraces her in intimate unity with her, granting her serenity. Let the accusers be crushed, screaming and anguish nullified and suspended. But for Israel, a new face and spirit with soul increased. Abundant joy arrives in place of one, a double measure. Brilliance will envelop the soul and manifold blessings. Draw near, beloved friends, make preparations to multiply delicacies, fish and fowl, thereby creating holy souls above and new spirits below. With the 32 paths of wisdom and the three-branch Torah. There it is. And the 70 crowns of its wine and kiddush. Then the king above, let the bride be and crowned with holy sanctification, inscribed and constant is Shabbat throughout the universe. 
for he of most ancient days pounded the elements to fashion the world. This is where the Kabbalist rabbis talk about the, the letters being viscous. Being what? Viscous. What is that? Like a liquid. With molten rock. It becomes viscous like lava. Oh my goodness. The one thing you would expect to flow from a smoking mountain. <laughs> there you go, man. So you're talking about all this joining in the, the bride and making yourself ready. For some reason, I was reading the Mission of Barakot this week because I, I learned there's a hierarchy of blessings you say before eating something. Of which Shehako Nige Bivaro, who makes everything with his word, is the least. It's the lowest of the brakas that you would say over something. But in the midst of all that, I, I read this statement. It says, Mishnah 5 teaches that the mazon, the meal, the body of the meal, joins all parts of the meal into a single entity so that blessings recited on the wine and parapet before the mazon exempt, exempt a person from reciting blessings on the same foods consumed after the mazon. The continuation of Mishnah 5 teaches that the main food of the meal is bread, and therefore its blessing exempts parapet foods. So in other words, by saying Kiddush and Hamotzi, we make a body at our table. Like the food is, is joined into a single entity. So this is why we don't pick up, you know, the bread, the wine, and then pick up something else and say a blessing, pick up something else and say a blessing. Like after you say hamotzi, that joins the whole entire food, if you will, together to make a whole body. And through the kiddish, or through the hamotzi, you also bring all the eaters together so that the hamotzi blessing covers all the eaters. But if you just did the, the wine, so like... If you if you didn't say hamotzi and you said some other bracha, and wine was later served in the meal, individually you say your blessing over your wine. So it's in other words, it, it's only through the hamotzi that all members are joined into a single body, i.e., through the bread. And what do we say the bread is? That is the Torah. And what are we talking about? We're talking about a wedding feast on the Shabbat. In particular, what we've been talking about anyway, is that through this wedding feast, we're bringing together multitudes of people into one body and literally through the Kiddush and the Hamotzi. And we see a semblance of this every Erev Shabbat. And Oneg for that fact, because we do a daytime Kiddush. So anyway, just a little Mishnah bear coat that was thrown down. And I found that little nugget that I thought was amazing among all the other things that are in there. That is, yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah. Every time I recite this on Shabbat, man, it's like, and it continues. Um, 
see. May it be his will that it, his presence, rest on his people who take pleasure for his sake in delicacies and sweets. I shall arrange to the south the menorah of hidden wisdom, and a table with bread shall I in place to the north. With wine-filled cup and branches of myrtle, as for groom and bride to strengthen those weak in faith, we will fashion them crowns with the precious words, with 70 crowns that excel the patriarchal blessing of 50. Suspended and relinquished be the distant abominations, the afflicting destroyers of all forms of sorcery. May the Shekinah become a crown through the six lobes on each side, through the double six, May our table be bound with profound temple services. When you braid collar, how many times do you braid it? Uh, well, I personally don't braid collar, and I don't look okay. at it to see how many braids because I eat it. <laughs> From what I have seen, typically on average, six times. Hmm, interesting. Zero and What does the Ari say here? The double six, the two loves of Kala. The two Mashiachs. Mashiach ben Yosef, Mashiach ben David. And nice. So six, I'm eating six braids. This is crazy. I'm, I'm serious. Like, I eat Kala so fast. I'm like, how many braids was there? Zero. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. To break from the bread. An olive measurement and an egg measurement taken for the two letters yod of the combined name hidden and explicit, like pure olive oil ground by in the mill, flowing like rivers whispering within. Shall we not utter secrets and hidden words that are not revealed, buried, and concealed? I will crown the bride with supernal secrets mid the wedding celebration of sacred angels. May it be the will of the ancient, holiest of all holy, most hidden of all hidden, who is concealed from all, that the exalted dew of spiritual and material blessing extends from him to fill the miniature presence and to moisten the field of sacred apples with the lustrous countenance with God's desire and his joy, which makes all, all joyous. And may there extend from the ancient holiest of all holy, most hidden of all hidden, who is concealed from all desire and mercy, grace and kindness, with exalted brilliance, with desire and joy. May he bring these upon me and upon all members of my household, upon all who join me, and upon all Israel, his people, may he redeem us from all evil troubles which befall the world and prepare and give us good nourishment and sustenance, free from trouble and anguish through the heavenly source, Shabbat, upon which all nourishment is dependent. May he save us from an evil eye, from the sword of the angel of death, and from the judgment of Gehenna. May he bring us and all our souls grace and kindness 
long life, ample nourishment, and mercy from himself. Amen. So may it be his will. Amen and amen. Amen. And this then is how holy Shabbat your kids. <laughs> yeah. It just keeps going. Because then you have the fellowship, you have the meal. I mean, incredible. And then when you what I get to, I had, there are different uh, traditions in Sephardic. You can either some say for the following before we can do according to the Benish High. And I really love this Oh, this preparation prayer? The Kavanaugh yeah. prayer? Yeah. Oh, yeah. The Lashem Yakud. Yep. But down at the bottom, the last paragraph, it says, May it also be your will, Hashem our God, and the God of our forefathers, that in the merit of the mitzvah of the blessing of Kiddush of Shabbat on a full cup of wine, the Hebrew letters for cup, kos, uh, Kaf, Vav, Samek, be filled to their complete form, Kaf, Vav, Samek, which is the Numura, the Gematria equivalent of Ha Barakah, blessing, and become channels to receive the flow of blessing from the heavenly spring, the source of blessing. May the verse that is written, Hashem will command the blessing for you in your storehouses and in your every undertaking be fulfilled in us. And now Hashem, God, desirously bless the house of your servant and from your blessing, may the house of your servant be blessed forever. May the expressions of my mouth and the thoughts of my heart find favor before you, Hashem, my rock and my redeemer. Wow. All holy act, all holy actions. This is Parsha Kedoshim. Mm -hmm. That's what it looks like. That's a physical example right there of what it looks like to be holy as Hashem is holy. Yep. Every time you pick up that cup or, and recite Kedush, remember the Gematria. Habraka. It's amazing, man. It just brings so much depth and meaning. Yeah, and here we are just thinking, oh, just a little cup of wine or a cup of juice. It's like, no. So much more. <laughs> Again, it's a form or it's an image of the invisible. Yes. It's an we expression of the will of him who created it. Yeah, we have no idea what is actually going on behind all that. <laughs> yeah. Because we're so physical, the yesh, the physicality, and all this is to help us to ascend beyond um, that. That's right. The mystical oh, aspect of Kedoshim. I was barely reading from Schnee Lakot earlier. Man. But yeah, I mean, it's in. That's why I love this Sidur, man. I was meant to get it. You know? The draw well, so like much. The yeah. Um, you just stand in awe of him. You know, he's the master of the universe. 
Adom Olam, Asher Malach, Beterem Kol Nisir Nira. Amen. You who reigned before any form created, at a time when your will brought all into being, and when all has ceased to be, you alone will reign in eternity. That's what I said. Your mom and dad were here, and he, he's here. I remember looking at Yeah, that, that's such a... My wife loves that prayer. Every time I recite it, every time. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, I always wind up pulling back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, at a time when his will brought all into being, then as king was his name proclaimed. After all has ceased to be, he, the awesome one, will reign alone. It is he who was, he who is, and he who shall remain in splendor, Tiferet. He is one. There is no second to compare to him to declare as his equal without beginning, without conclusion. He is the power and dominion without evaluation, without comparison, without change or transformation, without connection, without separation, powerful and strong. He is my God, my living redeemer, rock of my pain in the day of distress. He is my banner, a refuge for me, the portion in my cup when on the day I call. He is the healer. He is healing. And he sees the future and is of aid. Into his hand I shall entrust my spirit. When I go to sleep, I shall awaken. With my spirit shall my body remain. My Lord is with me. I shall not fear. In his temple my soul shall rejoice. May he send our Messiah speedily. Then we will sing in my holy house. Amen. Amen. To the awesome name. Amen. That's revelation too, man. Yeah, all day. That's how mystical revelation is. It's incredible. May we never take for granted these beautiful prayers that we get to recite. Yeah. I gotta put Chico to bed. Is he in there? I don't think he was. Oh, he's playing Jackson. Um, yeah, it's just so much. You know? Yeah. What? Uh, we're rehearsing for the day when he comes. Yeah. And we live with him forever in the world to come. Behold, I go to prepare. If I don't leave, I. I won't be able to prepare a place for you. Right. Um, yeah, this isn't going to, we aren't going to be here forever, like in this, this form. And Baruch Hashem, but while we're here, we have things to do. We have repairs and tacoons to make. And through every single mitzvah that we do, like we're doing that. So, like you said earlier, it's not the fact that we're just waiting on Mashiach. Obviously, he may he be revealed soon, 
but it's us that have to bring that revelation as well. And us preparing a, pre- a place looks like doing the mitzvot and walking in holiness. Literally making this world a dwelling place for Hashem. So, Baruch Hashem. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a good place to end it. Um, Amen. So, I know that's a lot to take in. But you who watch this and listen to it, take in all that has been said because these are the words of the Holy One, blessed be He. We strive to be like Him. Mashiach showed us the way and what it is to be like Him. You know, He's, he's it's not a singularity. We too. Because what love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called sons of God. Amen. Well, Baruch Abah B'Shem Adonai and our closing brush. Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu Melechah Asher Natan Nanu Torat Emet Vechaye Olam Nata Betokainu Baruch Ata Adonai Noten HaTorah. Amen.